Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. Are you ready for the Word? All right, me too, me too. All right, so um, Jesus is in the business of turning things around. Jesus is in the business of turning things around. You know, turning things. When Jesus was here on earth, turning things was his M.O., wasn't it? I mean, it's just the way Jesus rolled. It's the way he moved. It wasn't long after Jesus showed up on any scene, anywhere, in any narrative, before you knew that something was about to change. There was something that was going to change. The, you remember the first ever recorded miracle of Jesus? You, you remember that? What was it? Water into wine. When Jesus turned the water into wine, Jesus was attending a wedding feast. The host of the feast ran out of wine, and Mary went to Jesus, and, and Jesus said, Jesus, we've got a situation here. And he turned it. He turned a calamity into a celebration. It was his custom as he interacted with people to turn their situations. Those who were grieving the loss of loved ones finally uh, suddenly found themselves rejoicing in a resurrection. Blindness was turned into sight. Lameness was turned into ability. It was the custom of Jesus as he interacted with people to change not only circumstances in their lives but also the way that they thought. It was, this was evidenced in Peter's interaction with Jesus, his very first one. Jesus, Peter's very first time meeting Jesus. Jesus asked Peter, he said, hey, launch out into the deep. Cast out your nets for a great catch. Peter, in the traditional wisdom of fishing, said, Lord, I've fished all night and I caught no fishes. There's no need to cast my nets now, but nevertheless, at your word... And from that moment forward, the way that Peter thought about fishing and what was possible and what was impossible according to traditional conventional wisdom was forever changed. Philosophies and ideologies were rearranged as Jesus taught people with phrases like, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. He was changing things. Jesus even changes and rearranges the way some people behave. You remember little Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And from that day forward, the way Zacchaeus behaved, the way that he ordered his life, began to change. It began to change. Even down to the money changers in the temple, Jesus changed the way they were behaving. Amen? Yes, sometimes Jesus turns things around and sometimes Jesus turns things over. But he's going to turn something. He is going to turn something. If you will avail yourself to the work of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going to turn something. He's going to change something. 
And, you know, one of the things that we may find that we need Jesus to turn most in our lives is our perspective. We spoke last week about how Jesus turned our condemnation and bondage into liberty as we, through his blood, have been pardoned. But one of the most important things that we need to learn from the Bible is that Jesus changed the description of what a win looks like. Jesus changed the description of what a win looks like. Right now, in your mind, I want you to go ahead and think about the greatest challenge that you're facing right now in this moment. Think about the, the trouble, the turmoil, whatever it is that you're up against right now, the greatest challenge that you're facing. And I, I, I can almost guarantee that with that thought, you also have the attending thought, perception, or idea of what a win looks like in that situation, don't you? You know what it is in mind. You have a picture of an end in mind that you're thinking to yourself, if the Lord would only, and you fill in the blank from there, but if the Lord would only do these things or arrange these situations, then that would be a win for me. Right? You got that? We, we already have that perception. But see, in our minds... <clears throat> Sometimes our perception of a victory is different than the way victory is prescribed in the Scripture and according to kingdom principle. You see, in our minds, sometimes we face situations where victory and revenge often look like the same thing. How many of you have ever been in a situation and, and you thought that if you could just get even or you could get the last word? then you would emerge victorious from the situation. See, that's, that's what we think. That's what we think. But in Matthew 4, Jesus says this, You have heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully persecute you and use you. Why? Jesus says, this is how you define a real victory because a real victory is not about getting even with the other humans around us. A real victory means getting control over the human inside us. In our minds, victory happens to the exclusion of trials and hardships. We, we like to live life according to what I call the bypass principle, right? You know, you know how that works when you have these growing cities and areas of the world where uh, population density begins to increase, and with that, so does the traffic, and there begins to be problems and issues with the traffic flow in town. So what they do? They begin to build a bypass around the town to try, to try to offload some of that extra pressure, some of that extra trouble, and, and they begin to offload. And the idea is, now if you've ever driven on a freeway, you know this is not always the case. But the idea is that you're going to get out there on the bypass, 
and you're going to go around all of the problems and all of the troubles associated with navigating the city and you're going to go around it fast and you're going to go around it nonstop. You're just going to, all the problems are over here, but we're going to, right on around. We like to live life that way. And for us, a win is defined when everything lines up and all the situations are just so that we're just breezing down life's highway in the fast lane of the bypass and there's nobody in front of us. There are no burdens. There are no inconveniences. There's no stoplights, no small town slowdowns, no waiting for somebody to try and parallel park their car. We're just breezing right on through life. We don't have a care in the world. We want to bypass it all, all of the struggles, all of the trials. And in our minds, we've arrived, we've achieved when we've attained a life that is going well and there's not a problem in sight. But to give us a different perspective of a real victory, Jesus says this, These things have I spoken to you, that you may have peace. Because in the world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, Jesus says, because I have overcome the world. And here Jesus is letting us know that a true victory comes from having confidence in something more than the temporal and fleeting conditions of this life and we need to place our trust in the victory that he has afforded us that is lasting and eternal. How many of you know it's true that it doesn't matter? We, we live life so oftentimes. We don't live in the moment because the moment is not what we have desired. We are continually living for tomorrow. We are continually living for another time, another season, a different space. If I can just make it until this point. If we can make it till December. Right? If we can make it through 2020. If we can make it through this season of whatever's going on then then i'm here to tell you today that you can have victory in jesus it doesn't matter what's going on around you it doesn't matter how life is lining up for you the victory that jesus has come to afford us is not contingent upon the temporal and the fleeting conditions of this life but it is sure and it is secure and it is certain through the shed blood of jesus christ and is guaranteed by his resurrection now there's a lot in our lives that would change significantly if we viewed the world through a different lens a lens that is not tinted by our own thoughts or emotions you know sometimes we just we see the world and and we only see the world through our emotions we're either happy with something or we're not happy with something and if we're not happy with something we can't see the blessing in anything am i making sense we're we're either up or we're down and if we're up everything's up and if we're down everything's down 
We view the world through, through the lens of our emotions. We, we view the world through a lens that's tinted by our own thoughts, you know, what we think about the situations. We need to live our lives looking through a lens that is more heavily influenced by the principles of God's kingdom as opposed to the philosophies of this world. And I believe one of those views that we really need to challenge in our own lives is the view of victory and what it means to live a victorious life. Do you know that we... You, you know from Scripture that Peter, of all the disciples, was certainly someone whose life was plagued with problem and issue. He's, I love him, a powerful man of God, a powerful preacher, but such an example of humanity in relation to the grace of God because he was certainly not without flaws. And there is a particular problem, that issue that Peter had that we often share in, and I want to share that with you today. If you've got that spot in Matthew 16 go ahead and turn there remember back in January when we were going through a series called the unstoppable church and in one of those messages we emphasize that the unstoppable church understands that they are guaranteed victory and we use Matthew 16 as for our text where Jesus says I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it remember that Oh, man, that's exciting. It just Does that resonate with you? Doesn't that just, ooh, stir you up? Who do men say that I am? Oh, some say you're this person or that person. But who do you say that I am? And Peter says, oh, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And we're all here today, and we all have spiritual revelation. We understand, we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, have, our hearts have been illuminated with an understanding as to who Jesus is, and we, we know who Jesus is, but the issue is that sometimes, even though we know who Jesus is, we don't always understand the processes of life through which he leads us. And, and I'm going to tell you, this is a, we did what a lot of people do when we were, when we were covering this text the last time, and that is that we, we read the text until we got to the good part. And once we got to the good part, and we had used it for our intended purposes, we stopped. When we heard Jesus say, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, we said, yes, amen, glory to God, thank you, Jesus. And we stopped right there. Because if I tell you today that in all these things you have been made more than conquerors, you're going to say, yes, amen, glory to God. If I tell you today that there's victory in Jesus, you're going to say, yes, amen, glory to God. If I tell you today that you have been made an overcomer, you're going to say, praise God. Because that's who we've understood Christ to be. Our Savior, our Deliverer, our Conquering King. Right? 
and, and we understand that, and we've got that spiritual revelation today, but where we are lacking in our humanity is the faith to trust in the character of him who has called us out of darkness. To believe that he is who he says he is regardless of how the evidences present themselves around us. And, and here we are, Peter's here, we've, we've got this moment here, everybody's shouting, everybody's praising God because Jesus says he's going to build his church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. But had we read further in the text, we would have read about a little problem that Peter off, uh, experienced when Jesus offered this declaration of victory. And can I just say to you today, that God doesn't always move in our situation the way that we had anticipated that he would. How many of you have ever found that out? That God doesn't always move exactly the way that we thought he would or he should. And when Jesus said he was going to build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it, that is everything that the disciples had anticipated that their Messiah was going to do. Jesus said that. They said, yes, praise God, amen. It's about time. This is what we all want. We want the assurance of victory at every turn, in every circumstance, and we want to be assured that God is going to fight our battles and afford us victories, and they are hyped. But the crisis point emerges when Jesus began to tell them what was going to be necessary for this victory to be afforded them. And the problem was that at one point, Peter had a hard time seeing a victory through the lens of the kingdom. Who do men say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, Peter, you've had a spiritual revelation. Blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You're Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And everybody in the place was shouting, and everybody was excited, and everybody could see victory. Hey, we're going to steamroll over our enemies. We're going to vanquish the Roman Empire and liberate the Jewish people from their rule. Everybody's imagining a bright, wonderful future until Jesus describes for them exactly how victory is going to be achieved and where the disconnect came was between Peter's being able to identify who Jesus was by the Spirit's revelation and being able to understand how God's plan for redemption and victory was going to play out and that's a turmoil that we often all face Matthew 16, 21 picks up this narrative and we read these words. From that time, what time? That time. You mean the time when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? That time. That's the time. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples. What? What? about how he was going to topple the Roman Empire, how that he was going to bring about the liberation of the, 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 Israel, the nation of Israel and how he was going to establish this earthly kingdom and rule and, and just, just 
do all the things that they had anticipated from a natural standpoint and point of view? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Jesus began to show them that he must first go to Jerusalem. And he would suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. What? And be raised on the third day. But they didn't even hear that. They would... The whole, the whole raised on the third day thing was lost in that and killed part. Like after that, the, the ears just turned off. I mean, it's like, what? I mean, it was like, you know, some of you guys right now, you're, you're thinking about chicken legs and stuff, and you're not, you're not hearing me. But they, they heard Jesus say, and be killed. And they, they didn't hear that remaining part. And at this point, I can almost, you can almost begin to see the countenances change in the room. Hey, the gates of hell are not going to prevail again. And be killed. And, and be killed. And, and be killed. I can see that confusion come across the faces of Peter and the others Come on, Jesus, address the social tensions of the day. Come on, they expected a temporal triumphant prince as a Messiah, not an eternal king, and this is not what they were looking for, nor were they expecting. They weren't expecting someone who was going to heal their spiritual condition. They were expecting someone who was going to come in and overthrow the Romans and liberate the Jewish nation again. And all of a sudden, their elation and excitement is turned to confusion. And then Peter, as Peter does, begins to take Jesus aside. This is always funny to me. This always, like, hits me real good, and, and it's just, it tickles me. Because here I am looking at the man that has turned water into wine. He's raised the dead. He's walked on the water. He's done all these things. And I'm going to take it upon myself to be a corrective voice in his life. Right? But Peter does. And it says this, Then Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Peter's like, say what? Jesus, what are you talking about? This is not what victory looks like. How many of you have ever passed through situations in your life and you're standing on the promise of God, but all that you can think in your natural mind is that this is not what victory is supposed to look like me i've been there i've done it this is not what these are not jesus i i wonder if peter just looked at the rest of the guys and said we're going to need a minute these are not the words of a winner this is not what victory looks like and, and, and Peter, just talking to him, he said, listen, Jesus, I'm, I'm not here trying to see you the only one around here that looks like you present any kind of a hope for what I want for the future, being beat to death. No, that's not, that's not how this is going to go. You need to go somewhere, Jesus, and get yourself together because this is not acceptable. I don't know what happened to you between the gates of hell not prevailing and, and being put to death, but you need to go somewhere and find yourself in this moment because this is not how it's supposed to be. 
And the issue is there's a lot of believers that live in the space of this is not how it's supposed to be. And because of that, your life has been ushered full of defeat and anxiety and issues because you cannot separate in your mind the disconnect between the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the present circumstances that you're facing, and somehow or another you feel like that victory is contingent upon the external circumstances of your life rather than the finished work of God's Son. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Now, some people try to take this and say that Peter was possessed by a demon. It's not true. It's just, it's not true. But what, God, what Jesus is telling him here is that, Peter, you are operating according to a spirit and a philosophy that is not of my kingdom. You are, you're not seeing things. As a matter of fact, Jesus goes on to clarify you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but rather the things of men. You're not, even, you're not even paying attention to what God is doing here in this moment. And I've got to tell you something. There is a reason and there is a purpose for everything that God permits to come in our lives. And so oftentimes we are like Peter and we are so focused on the things of men we're more focused on the fact that the neighbor down the street has something that we don't and we can't understand why the wicked are prospering and God's not blessing us the same way on and on and on we could we could take all afternoon and talk about these type of scenarios wherein we are more concerned more mindful of the things of men than we are the things of God Jesus says you're not mindful of the things of God. You're only thinking about the here and the now. And I want to be very careful how I phrase these next few statements because I don't want to appear insensitive because I'm not. But I'm going to say this, that too much of how, who we are and how we believe is being shaped by the world around us instead of the word in us certainly we want to be sensitive to the needs of those around us and absolutely we do not want to create a culture especially in the church where people feel the need to hide their struggles this is a place of help for the hurting Understand that. I want you, you need to grab that before you hear anything else I say. But here's the part that society has helped us define. You know, we used to preach that if you were an addict or you struggled with alcoholism, that you would come to an altar and there you would find through the power of God deliverance. To be in a moment set free. But we've heard the 12-step programs of the world for so long 
wherein we come in and we say, hello, my name is Steve and I am. And then you fill in the blank with your struggle. Hello, my name is Steve. I am anxious. My name is Steve. I am depressed. My name is Steve. I'm an addict. My name is Steve. I'm an alcoholic. My name is Steve. I struggle with pornography. My name is Steve. Fill in the blank with whatever you want to put there. And we've learned to take ownership of an identity of defeat that God never intended for us to walk in. And... and, we have, we have learned to be so accommodating to a spirit of struggle and a spirit of defeat and spirits of self-pity that we have lost our will to tell people that there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Because if we dare suggest that their lives need change, then we're not accepting of who they are. And, and we're somehow being offensive in suggesting that they have a problem that would cause their lives to need change. So we tiptoe around the issues and we dare not suggest that Calvary is the answer to the problem because doing so would be a strong suggestion that their brokenness is something less than normal. And... In the wake of that, we are too ready to accept defeatism as an accompaniment to my struggle. And I'm not saying that the very moment that you lay something on the altar, necessarily that God is going to take it away from you in that moment, and you may continue to struggle. But the difference is in that you may still struggle and you may occasionally bear your humanity. The the point I'm trying to make today is that that does not negate you from being able to walk in victory because your victory is not determined by your struggle. Your victory is not determined by your struggle or lack thereof. And, And... we just we settle in and we just say well this is this is just how it is and like Peter we get so fixed on the temporal side of things that we forget that God is preparing us for eternity not just trying to make us comfortable right now and when God doesn't forfeit his plan to accommodate ours we just hang our heads in defeat and settle into our disappointments Listen, I, I, let me just, this is all the grace I can muster and, and just understand that this comes from a heart of love, but it is often my perception that if folks can't have victory on their terms, they'd rather be consoled in their defeat rather than be encouraged towards their victory. And, and that's not just my perception, that's honestly my firsthand experience. If I can just be that honest with you today, I'm no different. Sometimes I walk around with my lips poked out. And I am having just a terrible pity party. Just terrible. And in that moment, what I want is somebody to come alongside me 
and tell me that they understand and that life really is as bad as I've assessed it to be. You poor fella. I'm, you've been through so much and nobody understands the struggle that you face and you have every right to feel the way. Can I tell you, sometimes I just get I hear people say, I get angry with God, I get angry with God, I get angry. If this thing happened, that thing, I understand that. But can I tell you sometimes, just me and the Holy Ghost, we just, we don't, we kind of clash. I, sometimes I do get angry. Because it's in those moments when, when my natural man wants to take me to a place of defeat and despair and discouragement that the Spirit of the Lord comes in and begins to speak corrective things into my life that I don't want to hear. And I say, I don't want to hear that. I want a consoler in this moment, not a counselor to get me out of this moment. Because what I really want is victory on my terms. I want the thing that has upset me to change around me, not in me. Is, does, that, does that make sense? Are you, you getting that? Because my natural inclination and understanding of victory is that all the things that have been trying and offensive to me are going to align in front of me. And for me but how many of you know that's just not the way life works that's that's not the way it works and and can I just be honest with you Jesus loves you too much too much to just flatten every mountain before you and fill in every valley in front of you and to straighten every path in front of you and to take every stone out of your pathway because it might cause you a little trouble and adversity he loves you too much to do that because he knows that you never gain any strength if you never have to climb the mountain you never learn peace if you don't walk through the valley you never learn toughness in the spirit until you faced a few stones in the road See, I want somebody to console me in my suffering and tell me that, that you know, I'm justified for the way I feel. I want somebody who's going to be able to affect a, a change in my life that's going to make everybody act like I want them to act and every situation be tailored, custom tailored to suit what I want. And I got a feeling I'm not alone in that. And because of that, we spend more time treating the symptoms than we do dealing with the cure. But what do we say to these things that usher defeat into our lives? It's a reasonable question. Paul asked this question. And I'm sure that you had no doubt that when you heard that I was preaching a message on victory, you said, oh, pastor, he's going to end up in Romans 8 somewhere. But I want to tell you something. I used to worry when I was preaching about saying the same thing over and over but then one day I realized that the folks who are listening to me have no reservations about continuing to live the same way, so I don't worry so much about saying the same thing.
Romans 8, 35. Preceding, Paul asked the question, says, what then shall we say to all these things? Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, that, that little bit of trouble that you've got at home, that little bit of trouble that you've got in the, that's going to separate you from the love of Christ? That, that little anxious thought or feeling that you're having, that distress, that's, gonna, that's all it's going to take? The persecute, some, oh, somebody said something about you? That's all it takes to rock your world and to tear you out of your frame? That's it? That's all? What about famine or nakedness or peril or sword? My God, most of us would never stand to get to that degree of hardship. As it is written, Paul quotes the Old Testament here and says, For your sakes we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. And then he comes to this crowning verse here. And he says, Yet in all these things, all these things. You remember that thought that I asked you for at the top of the service? Just think about the worst scenario that you're facing right now in your life. That trouble, that hardship, whatever it is. Right there. Insert it. Insert it right here. Romans 8, 37. And all these things. You name it. We are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. Listen. It is not the conditional circumstances of your life that issue your victory. But rather the unconditional love of God. I don't stand in victory today because everything in my life is exactly as I want it to be. I stand in victory today because my Savior in weakness yielded to the death of the cross and in a way that is so contrary to human understanding that even his disciples didn't understand what he was saying. He has bought for me a victory that no situation or circumstance or amount of money in this world could ever provide for me. And my victory today is not in the circumstantial conditions around me, but in the unconditional love of God for me. And I'm here today to encourage you that at the cross we find victory. I want to tell you today that if you'll get off the phone commiserating with all of your friends about how awful life is, and if you'll get off Facebook telling everybody how miserable you are, 
If you'll get on your face before God and lay your concerns on the altar before the Lord, He's ready to do something in your life that you'll be able to walk up, stand up from that place and turn around and look at the troubles of life and say, what shall we say to these things? If God is for me, who can stand against me? Parallel to Matthew 16 is the, is the text found in Luke chapter 9. Jesus says pretty much somewhat verbatim the same things as Luke records from Matthew 16 to Luke chapter 9. And at the conclusion of this verse 23, we read from Luke where Jesus says, Jesus has already pronounced victory. And he's described how that victory is going, to be trend, is going to be brought to pass. And he says, if any man will follow me. Well, where was Jesus heading? He was heading to the cross. But ultimately, he was heading to the culminating victory of the purpose for which God had sent him. I'm going to say that again. Ultimately, Jesus is heading towards the culminating victory for the purpose of which God had sent him. How many of you believe that you're in this life and God has a purpose for you? How many of you believe that Jesus wants to lead you into the culminating purpose that God has for your life? Right. And Jesus says, if any man will follow me, and you've you got to be clear on where we're going here. That's where we're going. We're going to the culminating purpose that God has for our lives. In Jesus' case, it was the cross of Calvary, the barred tomb, and the resurrection. We, we get that. In your case, it may be something different, but nonetheless, the principle is same, the same. If any man will follow me, he's got to deny himself, get over the fact that the world's got to bow down to meet your needs, take up his cross, that's the altar where we surrender it all the way we thought it was supposed to be, the way we thought it was going to go, and say, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, not my way, but yours be done. Because I know at the end of this, you're going to have your way in my life. I don't understand why you brought me to it, but I trust that you're going to bring me through it. And I will not be defeated. I will not be discouraged because my victory is contingent upon your love for me and that never changes. But he must first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. Church, we don't have time to sit around pouting over what might have been and why the world's not bowing to meet our wishes. Time is short. You have a purpose. I have a purpose. And it is, as we sang today, to make Jesus be lifted high in this world and to be glorified, to be magnified. And how do you do that? You walk in victory. You walk in victory.
Why don't you stand in victory right now? If if you're victorious in Christ Jesus, just stand up wherever you are, all over this place, even in your home. Go ahead and just stand up right now. Our worship team's coming. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed. You say, Pastor, I've been struggling in defeat. I've, I've, been, I've been falling prey to every lie of the adversary, every word of discouragement that has been spoken over my life. I've, I've swallowed it whole. And I've believed it and I've plotted my life accordingly. And today I want to stand in a new victory. If that's you, slip a hand up wherever you are all across this place. Amen. I see those hands. I see those hands. Are there others this morning? And I'm not, I'm not just asking, are you saved or not? Because this is a real struggle that goes beyond the point of, of praying a prayer of salvation. I want to declare to you today that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God knit you together in your mother's womb with purpose. And he has loved you with an everlasting love. And your value is not dependent upon what the world says about you, but what God has defined about you. And you are his prized possession. He loves you. We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.